Welcome to Ash Wednesday service here at Mayflower Church. If you would please join me on page two of your bulletin, you'll find our call to worship. All who seek God's presence, you are welcome. Some of us come tonight seeking new meaning in our lives. Some of us come yearning for a place to rest. Some of us long for familiarity. Some yearn for a new beginning. So, O Lord, we gather in your presence, opening our lives to your word and guidance as we begin our Lenten journey. Tonight we come to remember the last chapter of Jesus' life on earth. Jesus healed the sick, loved the poor, and taught the people. Ashes that were once palms with shouts of Hosanna are put on our foreheads in the shape of a cross with the words, Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Easter morning came and proved that Jesus is who he is and he says he is, and that will forever live on. The season of Lent is here. May we remember the miracle of heartache and triumph and grow closer to Jesus by becoming more like Jesus. Amen. Amen.
I will be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever watched Survivor? We do. My family and I are big fans. The contestants all begin the adventure looking like they always do. But by the end of the 45 days, those that have completed it have definitely changed. There is often facial hair where there was none before. Lots of cuts and scrapes. But the most noticeable difference is the weight loss. Even though they eat rice, nuts, and berries, and the food that they've won in challenges, their bodies quickly shrink as the days go by. Our first scripture talks about Satan tempting Jesus with food. Jesus had not eaten for 40 days, and Satan, thinking that he may have a shot to bring Jesus to his team and not God's, offered him the idea to turn the stone to bread. When someone is hungry and tired, it's very tempting to make choices that wouldn't have been made if you were rested and full. Satan saw the chance to tempt Jesus, and he went for it. Now, I've tried to fast from time to time, and when I do, the only thing I can think of is food, and the food that I can't eat. I have a headache, I'm tired, I'm crabby, I'm definitely not strong or wise by any means. So when Satan mentions to Jesus that he could eat if only he turned the bread to stone, the stones to bread, I have to, I find it hard to believe that Jesus hadn't thought about that before that time. With all the things that he saw in the wilderness, he may have imagined some of those becoming food way before the 40 days. But instead of being tricked by the loaf of bread that would only fill Jesus's stomach for a short amount of time, Jesus said back to Satan that man does not live by bread alone. He is saying that we need more to live than food as well. We are in need of faith and prayer and God's presence to feed our spirits. So food to a person who believes in God means two things. The meal that we eat at the breakfast table, some orange juice, some pancakes and bacon, and the prayers that are said with faith and love as we share them with the people around that table. With being both spiritually fed and physically fed, we are able to be full in a way that allows us not to be lured by the activities and the things that are important for only a short time while we are here on earth. Filling our stomachs is something we prioritize multiple times throughout the day. Being filled with God's love and spirit needs to have that same prioritization. During Lent is the perfect time to pair feeding our stomachs with feeding our souls. Matthew 4, uh, 5 through 7 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, 
that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So it's as though the tempter says, Jesus, that was a good answer. That turning the stones to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that God speaks, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, here's a word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here's a word that God spoke. And he takes Jesus to the very pinnacle of the temple. And he speaks this word. And it's from Psalm 91. It is a word that God has spoken. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up with their hands, and you will not strike your foot against the stone. That's what God says, Jesus. And then he tells him to jump and see God come to action. Whenever I I read that, I think of somebody jumping off the Mackinac Bridge with a bungee cord, only without the bungee cord. That would be like, wow, wouldn't it? Um... Anybody here that afraid of heights? Anybody admit they're a little bit afraid of heights? Okay. Well, let me ask you this. What is the tallest building in Grand Rapids, Michigan? You know, can you shout it out? Okay. I'm not hearing anything. Um, I was, oh, am I? Am I? Oh, okay. They're having a hard time. That better? Oh, well, that does make a difference. Okay, what's the tallest building in Grand Rapids, Michigan? Okay, you know, I always thought it was the Amway Grand Plaza until today I Googled it. And, you know, that's a, that's a tall building. But actually, according to Google, it's the River House condos that are almost 100 feet higher than the Amway. The Amway is 318 feet high, but... The River House condos are 406. Well, something that you probably don't know is how high, how high or how far was it from the pinnacle of the temple that Jesus walked in to the Kidron Valley down below? Well, that was even greater than the River House condos from the top of it to the pavement. It was a 450-foot drop. Now, if you were taken to a tall building and told to jump, you know, we all hope that you would not do that. But Satan says, you know, if you do this, Jesus, and God has spoken, you're just going to totally wow the people. You'll impress them so much that they will follow you anywhere. They will know that, that you are something beyond a normal human being. And you'll have an instant, instant following. Show off a little bit. Wow the people. Two weeks ago, our family from South Carolina came up, Lindsay and Kyle with our three grandchildren. And um, Uncle Jim, that's my wife's brother, came over with some gifts for them because he hadn't 
been feeling well around Christmas time. And he brought him a little, a little cup of, of cookies that they opened up. And for each one, out fell a $50 bill, which was valued a little more than the little cup of cookies. And, uh, you know, they were all pretty excited about that. And my 14-year-old grandson said, oh, I know what I'm going to do with that. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, because he just the week before had made the baseball team at his school down in South Carolina. He said, I'm going to buy a sleeve. You know what that is? That's something that baseball players now, kind of a new thing, put on their arm from their shoulder to their, to their wrist. And it looks impressive. So I said, well, Mike, are you going to do that because that will make you a better hitter? Or are you doing it because it looks good? And he looked at me and said, I'm doing it for looks. <laughs> you know, we do a lot to try to impress people, don't we? But Jesus doesn't take the temptation. Imagine how impressive that would have been if he would have jumped and the angels come and take hold of him and bring him safely to the ground. He says, no, I'm not going to ask God to jump to my tomb. I'm not going to tempt God in that way. We're not here to impress others or to wow others. We are here, Jesus says, to trust God. And he says, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what he did in that wilderness and all through the journey that we're going to be looking at this Lenten season, even to the point where he is nailed to a cross. We're called to trust our God. Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left left him, and angels came and attended him. Years ago, a group of high schoolers and I went to Zambia, Africa to run a vacation Bible school. As we walked through the streets, there were children that came running out of the houses, and they hollered out to us and hugged us, and they had wonderful smiles on their faces. And as we began to spend time with the children, they began to play in the streets. They used a taped-up ball of paper as their soccer ball. And they would run barefoot up and down the street playing soccer with that taped up ball of paper all day long. Now, I don't know about your garage, but mine is filled with balls. We have soccer balls, basketballs, baseballs, footballs, tennis balls. Every kind of round object you could ever imagine lives in my garage. It reminds me of the joke that the comedian Stephen Wright once said, you can't have everything, where would you put it? But isn't that what we try to do? We try to have everything, experience everything, be everything. 
In the third temptation between the devil and Jesus, the devil offers Jesus what's technically already his. Satan says that if Jesus bows down and worshiped him just this one time while they were out in the desert alone, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor would be his. We need to remember again that this has been 40 days in a hot, dusty desert. No food, no bath, no comfort at all for Jesus. And Jesus is a big deal. He, of all people, deserves a soft bed, a giant meal, and some fun activities to do. Does that sound familiar? Don't we sometimes feel like we deserve it all? The expensive shoes, the exotic vacations, the updated appliances? The list can be long. But do we deserve it? When I lived in Omaha, Nebraska, I learned a few things about Warren Buffett. He lived in a modest house. He wore jeans often. He never bought a new car. He always drove a used car. And on Halloween, he gave out king-size candy bars for the trick-or-treaters that came to his door. But what has always struck me is a commentary that he has shared many times called the ovarian lottery, where he says that before we are born, there's a lottery, and it determines your gender, race, nationality, natural abilities, and health, whether you're born rich or poor, sick or able-bodied, brilliant or below average, American or Zimbabwean. Do we ever take a minute and wonder why? Why were you born the way you were? Why do you have your gifts and talents? For me, this becomes a very real question these days when I see images of people that live a 16-hour flight away, fighting in the streets and fleeing with their children. The kingdoms and their splendor were already Jesus's, as he is the Son of God and knew he would rule over them all. But Satan wanted to tempt him to have it all now, before the bulk of his ministry began, knowing that it would end with the pain of the crucifixion and the suffering of our sins. This private conversation between Satan and Jesus is written about in three of the Gospels. My guess is that Jesus wanted us to know about this encounter, to give us the encouragement that we too can stand up against the human desire that we all have to have it all. And it's not that we can't have nice shoes, go on vacation, or have a working dishwasher. But as we live each day, how can we take what we've been given and use it to bring others along with us? How can we share in the splendor that we've been born into? This is something that I wrestle with all the time. And when I look at my garage, overflowing with all this stuff, I'm reconvicted that I can do better that I cannot let this stuff be my purpose, but to look to God and his love for others and allow that to be my purpose. So we wish that these 40 days of Lent that begin tonight be different. May we be different. May we be the love that our world needs now more than ever before. In the words of Sister Wendy Beckett, Ash Wednesday reminds us of our constant need to acknowledge and confess our fallen humanity, to repent of the past 
and throw ourselves on the loving mercy of God. For we have been assured that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thus, today marks the beginning of the season of Lent. We begin with reminding and repenting. May these next 40 days be transformative as we go through the darkness and pain of our fallen world while waiting with intense, intense anticipation for the good news, the greatest news the world has ever experienced. So in a moment, you will be invited by Rose to come forward to receive the imposition of ashes as we reflect on our humanity and our mortality.
God in heaven, we begin a Lenten journey. As we journey toward the cross, may we not seek instant satisfaction, instant removal of all pain and longing. May we not seek to impress. May we not hunger for power or status. But may we humbly seek to follow Jesus in the way of pain, even rejection, loss, and suffering. Keep us close to Him. Help us to learn each day. Help us even, Lord, in the depth of our soul to feel what it was like for Him to walk that road. To be faithful to the very end. To care for others to forgive, to trust, no matter what the circumstance, to yield up our will and our life to God, our Creator. We thank you for what lies at the end of the journey. But help us, Lord, to truly live the journey. We give you praise that you are our companion. We thank you for showing us the way. In the name of our suffering Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Tonight, when we look in the mirror as we brush our teeth and we see the cross of ashes on our foreheads, may we thank God that we get the next 40 days to ponder what? What am I allowing to fill me when I'm hungry? What are the reasons why others' opinions of me impact what I say or do? And what does it really mean to have it all? And when we're back here on Easter Sunday celebrating, may our what's be in line with the life that Jesus led and the way that he loved. Amen.